And if you have your Bibles, please turn there. We will stand and read in a moment, verses 1 through 5. If you are ready or not, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Please be seated. The title for this morning's message is Don't Be Them. This is, you know, when you go do expository teaching, you really give up the ability to choose what to say. You have to go with what the text is telling you. Uh, I, like Jude, would like to talk about the salvation and the grace of Christ, but what we have before us is confrontation, Christian versus Christian. And troublemakers, uh, they add nothing to a good environment that they invade. They they only take away from it. Uh, You know, here, the church at Antioch is rowing forward and upward. And these chaps come along, and they start rowing in the opposite direction. And this causes the turmoil in the church. It's throughout the New Testament. The church at Pergamos had problems with people coming in and teaching heresies, Thyatira. Jude writes, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, they always do, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we listen to these things coming from the Scripture, and I say to myself, I don't want to be one of those people that creep in unnoticed and cause these divisions. Paul endured conflicts with fellow Jews, with Gentile converts, with pagan Gentiles, with Judaizers, He would stand up to everybody. I would think that there were those in the church at Antioch that were loving his teaching. And when this conflict broke out, they were tempted to side against Paul because human nature's messed up that way. And yet there were others that would double down with Paul and be loyal to him. In his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, he writes, Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily... My deep concern for all the churches. Paul loved the people he preached to. He wanted truth to prevail in their hearts. But it always met with conflict. And therefore, the great concern. And he added, uh, 
who is not made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. In other words, he was saying, I hate what sin has done to us. But his response was not to stay home under the covers, the blanket, and just shiver. He is out in the field and he's, he's working and he's working tire, tirelessly to bring peace to the church. In his first letter to the Corinthians, and you know, he takes the first nine chapters just to try to set them straight. They were so messed up. Uh, and there in the sixth chapter, in verse 5, he's talking about Christians suing Christian in the Gentile courts. And he, he says, if then, First um, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? And so there he is trying to bring peace to Christian versus Christian. And it was very challenging when there, again, you have those rowing the wrong way. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And I hope every Christian wants to be a peacemaker, but not at the cost of truth. And that's where the conflicts uh, come in. With this chapter, the church in Jerusalem, as the center of Christian operations, will, <clears throat> will pass out of sight. Peter will pass out of sight in the story in, in the book of Acts by the time we get to the end of this chapter. And then the Gentile churches, or the churches that were predominantly Gentiles, uh, would, would then come to the front as Luke tells the story. Now, that doesn't mean they went away in Jerusalem. They were still there. Just Luke is, uh, by the Holy Spirit, telling us what happened outside of Jerusalem. So, verse 1 now of Acts chapter 15 and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that's pretty heavy-duty stuff. The church at Antioch, it uh, remained connected with the church in Jerusalem. The church was uh, centralized then. Now, of course, we're, we're all over the place. You've got different doctrines, different churches, and uh, I don't know how you can avoid it. But I do know that on an individual level, we can be more blameless than what we otherwise might not be had we not listened to the Lord. So we listen to the Lord, and, and we, we grow as a lily among thorns where he plants us. And uh, here, Antioch, that church up in Antioch, Syria, actually sent material or money to the church in Jerusalem back in chapter 11 when they were going through a hardship. He says here, certain men came down from Judea, from James, that is, and we'll bring that out. These certain men were irritated. Going all the way back to Acts chapter 10, when, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles, the house of Cornelius, they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did not have to become Jewish first. Now, these are just facts we're dealing with. This is no racism here. Uh, the, there are Jews that were, came, uh, received Jesus as Messiah, but they were messed up. They had problems. 
And they were a problem. And then there were Jews that were not, such as Paul and Barnabas. These are just the facts. And uh, the Gentiles were worshiping these certain men that came down. They saw the Gentiles worshiping their Jewish Messiah without becoming Jews according to the rites of Moses and circumcision, the dietary laws and the Sabbaths, etc. And no one was fixing it. And so here they come up to where the church is flourishing, Gentiles and Jews. And that church started with Hellenistic Jews, Jews that were influenced by the Grecian culture. They went up to Antioch, and they started an outreach to Gentiles. And as a result, Gentiles were getting saved and part of that church. And this irritated much of them. And so these certain men were the same certain men who came from James, mentioned by Paul in his Galatian letter. I believe, and I'm not the only one, there's some debate on it, uh, that the Galatian letter Paul wrote, his earliest letter probably, um, I believe it is, about this time is when he wrote it. Uh, right before, the, likely before the conclusion of this big church council that's going to take place beginning in Acts, uh, in, in the seventh verse, we won't get to that this morning. Galatians 2.12 For before certain men came from James, he would not eat with the Gentiles. He would eat with the Gentiles. Now he's talking about Peter. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And so what's happening is Paul's up in Antioch ministering. All these Gentiles are coming in. Peter comes up to visit. And then James sends some guys up to visit. And when those guys come up, Peter, all of a sudden, is a little intimidated by this and says, well, I'm not going to be like the Gen- with the Gentiles now. I'm going to hang out with the Jews. And, and Paul picked up on that. And Barnabas got sucked into it also, which made Paul go ballistic. And, and we're going to come to some of this. But the Galatian letter gives us a behind-the-scene look at what, what was in Paul's heart, how he was dealing with this, and uh, how irrefutable his arguments are. We do not have Christian writings that counter Paul because he's, he's right and is anointed by the Spirit of God. It says here in verse 1, and taught the brethren. Uh, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Why? Who needed them? Who asked for them? Uh, the church was doing great without them. Uh, as I mentioned, the gospel was flourishing And then these self-appointed grace killers show up. This is not fun to preach on. I'm not delighted about this. In the earlier years I was, but I've lived too close to it. Too much is now, you know, a little bit too close to home. But here it is. They were sowing seeds of discord in someone else's field, and they had no right. And the Holy Spirit, again, is going to point out, these guys are the problem. Uh, Paul is merciful, and so is Luke, because they could have named these boys, and they don't. They just say certain men. You know who you are. Unless, this is what they were teaching, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this is, this is abject legalism. And it is not grace, it is not truth, it is not New Testament uh, theology. Even the devil knows a man will be saved if he believes. The devil knows that. And Jesus taught us that the devil knows that. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, 
those, talking about the sower, planting the seed, which is the word of God. Uh, those seeds that fell by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Faith alone and Jesus alone, through scripture alone. This is um, what the Bible teaches, and this is why we believe it. Uh, the fact that we enjoy it is bonus. Don't feel guilty for enjoying truths, especially when others uh, don't share the joy. Well, that's on them. If they want the seeds of the words taken away, then they will be taken away. Uh, anyway, these men deduced that if you accepted Jewish Messiah, then you had to accept the law of Moses. We'll get to that again in verse 5. Uh, they would not object to conversion if you subjected yourself to these rites. And I'm going to point out how crazy that would have been. It would have killed Christianity. And I'll show you why I believe that in a moment. Galatians 2, again, verse 21, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. How profound is that? If, if, having a, if, if having these rights of Moses is going to make me right with God, then who needs Christ? I'll just go through these rights. Well, we do need Christ because those things were symbolic. But they were fulfilled in Christ. And the symbol, symbolism uh, either faded away or was uh, developed. Jesus said, don't think I came to destroy the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. The same way an acorn fulfills its purpose. So an acorn has two good purposes. One, of course, to create an oak tree. The other is to throw at squirrels. But that's, that's another one. Uh, so when, if you've ever, early spring you go out when the acorns are sprouting and you pull up one out of the ground and you can still see the acorn attached to the sprout about a third of the way up. The tap root's going down, the sprout's going up, and there's the acorn. And it is fulfilling its purpose. It is not failing, but it is fading away. It will be gone. And all that will be left is that oak tree, which will produce more fruit in time. Well, this is the same with the law. The law was that oak, uh, that ac acorn. But it fulfilled its purpose when it produced the new covenant out of the old covenant. And it is a glorious work of God. Later, when Paul is in Philippi, after this event, after this big brouhaha in Jerusalem, he doubles down on his approach. And what does he tell the Philippian jailer? Acts 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He doesn't say, oh, and, and you know, I'll give a little bit to the other guys. He doesn't give an inch. I'll come back. But imagine, I talked about the, the, how this almost killed Christianity. Imagine the blowout which would have occurred had Paul tried to circumcise slaves that came to Christ. The healing process would have incapacitated the men for days. Do you think those unbelieving slave masters would have been good with that? The fury of the slave masters would have vilified the gospel over a, an obsolete ritual. Imagine telling slaves, don't work on the Sabbath. You're now a Christian. What would the slave owners be saying about that? We're, you know, fix my vittles. 
It, it wouldn't be, uh, oh, I understand, I respect your religion. Uh, imagine if the, 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 Paul said to the convert, converted Gentile slaves, oh, and by the way, don't eat anything that's been around, you know, pork or any of the unclean animals. How are you going to do that in a slave master's house? They would have starved to death. And so we can see Satan's potential victory had these certain men succeeded in stifling the liberty of Christ by slapping rule atop of rule that had already become obsolete, according to Paul's own words. Now, for those of you who have not heard this, uh, I believe Paul wrote the Hebrew letter later in his ministry, and he was pulling no punches at this point. He was saying, listen, let me tell you something. That Judaism is obsolete because we have something better. And this is in accordance to the prophets. It doesn't, wasn't that Jesus just walked out of the woods and said, okay, I'm here. Here's a new agreement. Everything is connected. In Galatians 5, verse 12, which again gives us insight to what's happening here. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would mutilate themselves. This is very heavy, is it not? They were trying to get them to be uh, circumcised. Paul says, I would like them to make themselves eunuchs. I can use stronger language because the Greek does. But I'm, I'm being, I don't want to get worked up. And so there you have the Apostle Paul, how fierce he was against this nonsense, rowing in the opposite way of salvation. Now, circumcision and baptism, there, there are similarities between the two, but they're, they're different. Circumcision, of course, symbolizes life in the faith and obedience to God, and it included painfully removing the flesh. Well, we understand that symbolism. However, it was exclusive to men. Only the men suffered this right, and the women came under that, that covering. Baptism, on the other hand, symbolizes, of course, the faith, just an obedience, uh, but in the spirit over the flesh, it includes death to oneself, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, and well, not actually, and I'm not telling you to kill yourself, but it is saying that old nature must die, Romans chapter 6, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so the baptism is a sermon, is a microcosm of the Christian faith. You die in Christ just as he died on the cross, and you rise a new creation in Christ. Uh, this rite of water baptism is inclusive for all, male and female alike, which... which uh, is more profound, a more profound symbolic rite than the circumcision. And so, yeah, Christianity enhanced Judaism because this is God's plan. Now, rites do not make us spiritual. In a little bit, we will have, I'm reminded by one of our brothers, we're having communion this morning. <laughs> he, he, he reminded me in love. But I, I, I didn't feel that so loved when he did. Anyway, I'm kidding. Rites do not make us spiritual. And we're going to have communion. It will not make us spiritual. But what it does do, it preaches what I hope to be and what I should be in Christ. 
When I am baptized, I want to have my flesh dead and buried and rise up in Christ, a new creation. This is what I want. God highly esteems this. Remember, God said to David, I cannot let you build a temple, but because you wanted to build it, it's a glorious thing. God valued David's heart. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you carry rights too far, they have an adverse effect on the gospel. We know of churches that do this. They put such an emphasis on their ritual that you, 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 know, you can't see the forest because of the trees. 1 Corinthians 7, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. No matter, you know, communion, you, you cancel it out if you're not interested in what God wants. But you go through the, 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 you know, the, the rite anyway, the ritual. It doesn't benefit you. And Paul preaches about that. He says, you know, you can have physical problems because you, you're not discerning the body of the Lord. So in verse 2, having said these men, certain men came down. And Galatians pointing out that they came from James. Because James... James was not as um, aggressive with grace as Paul was. I mean, he wasn't even close. I mean, he was right in his letter, that everything he writes, but when it, when it came, he's going to get Paul in trouble later. Paul gets arrested because of James meddling around. But we'll, we'll come to that later in Acts. Verse 2, cliffhanger. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Well, we, do, we can't send anybody uh, to the apostles anymore. Now the, the highest you can go in a church is the pastors. Or some denominations, they have you know, levels, higher levels of bishops, and etc. But uh, ultimately, it is going to be uh, the overseers of, of the church. Paul and Barnabas as I mentioned, went ballistic, and that comes out in the, in the language. Therefore, when Paul, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute, they were hot. They weren't saying, well, theologically, I think. They, they were screaming, yelling at each other. You're killing the gospel, you know, just because uh, you, you, they're human. And it's not a sin to be passionate, uh, though it can cause problems. Uh, I, I have a pastor friend. He says his son was watching him on television preaching with the volume down, which is kind of cute all in itself. His son's a, a teenager, and he says, Dad, you look so angry. And he says, I'm not angry. I'm passionate. I just animated, but he wasn't angry. Fine line. We have to watch that. Uh, the alternative is to speak to you in a monotone. Then you're accused of being boring or more boring. Anyway, Galatians 2, verse 5, Paul says this about this, this, this dissension and dispute. To whom we did not yield submission for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And I pointed out what would have happened. Just the circumcision. If you did that to those coming into the church, how you would have given Christianity a bad name. An hour, figuratively. In other words, we weren't budging anything. And people want you to give a little, take a little. I don't know where that thinking comes from, but my approach is if you're wrong, you're not, I'm not giving you that. I'm not going to say to you when you're wrong, oh, I can see your point. 
unless you have a point head, then I can see I can see a pointed head, but I don't see your point. All right, maybe you Marcus of Quinsbury rules for arguing, but anyway, this blowout uh, again, hooray for Paul standing up to him because this was not a little thing. This this was a big thing. It has everything to do with how people get saved, and. Uh, to Paul, it was an insurrection against the gospel. Luke, Luke uses this word here in verse 2, small dissension. Uh, he uses it also in Luke 23, the gospel, when he talks about Barabbas being a dissenter. And so he, this is a powerful word. That, that this, was an, uh, this was no small insurrection as how, how Luke is trying to present it to us. If we were under, understood the Greek, we would... Take it that way. Uh, Both sides very passionate about what they believed, but only one was right. And what's going to settle this, we won't get it this morning, is going to be Scripture. But that's not enough. It's going to be Scripture spoken by men placed in authority, but that's not enough. It's going to be Scripture by men placed in authority under the leading of the Holy Spirit, able to point to what the Scripture, how it is to be applied, what it means. And so, this, these men, when they came up, they did not recognize Paul as apostle of Jesus Christ enough to submit to him. So they're going to take it now to the apostles in Jerusalem, which in itself was an insult uh, to Paul. So they appealed to Jerusalem, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. This is an oasis verse. We're dealing with this conflict, this confrontation. It's not pleasant. And yet, here we have no confrontation. We have, uh, well, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's where he's going. It's about, uh, by foot, 400 miles from Antioch. Uh, as the crow flies, maybe about 300, a little over 300. So it's going to take him, if they're, if they're going by foot, uh, if they're walking, uh, it's going to take them a few weeks to get there. If they hitch a ride on a cart here and there, a rented camel, uh, a little earlier. But still, they're going to have a lot of time, which is Paul, of course, is formulating his arguments, is organizing them for this confrontation. And uh, he tells these Christians in Phoenicia and Samaria about the conversions of Gentiles through the preaching with signs and wonders following. We covered that in Acts chapter 14. And here Paul and Barnabas, they did not need anyone to validate their ministry. In other words, the things that they, they achieved in preaching the gospel and people coming, they didn't need anybody to say, okay, we approve you, we bless you. They would like for people to uh, understand that this was God, but they didn't need that. That is admirable. Uh, to to uh, you know uh, to to see it for what it is and not always easy. So people are so impressionable. You can be liking a church and somebody comes and says you shouldn't like the church. And no one will have to give you a reason really. And then you don't. Some people are, are like that, and it's just unfortunate. And uh, I don't mean to be hitting these things repeatedly, but this is what we're talking about because there were those in the church at Gal- uh, up in Antioch that were like, hmm. Yeah, these Judaizers have a good point. And Paul, no, they don't. I'll pull your hair out if you say that again. <laughs> well, that would be Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah cursed them, struck them, pulled out their hair. Uh, that's biblical leadership. But that's not what happened to me. Anyway, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. See, these were grassroots Christians. They were not uh, pharisaical. They were not indoctrinated into Judaism. They understood what, what their Torah and the prophets said. And they were just rejoicing that people were getting saved. And they didn't say, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got a checklist here. You know, and uh, they just understood that people heard who Jesus was, what he had done, how it tied into the Old Testament prophets, and they rejoiced in that. And uh, again, we would have no Christianity if it were up to these Jewish believers who were Judaizers, mixing law with, with, with Messiah. But the other fact is... Uh, we would have no Christianity if it weren't for these Jewish believers like Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Tim, all these other ones that were just, you know. So, again, it's not anti-Semitism at all. I don't know how you can be a Christian. I'll say this in two ways. I don't know how you can be a Christian against Israel. I mean, not with Genesis twelve three. I mean, you, you curse these Jews, I'm going to mess with you. That's one. Two, how can you be a Christian to be racist against anybody? True, there may be some cultures that you just don't like. Uh, you know, maybe you don't like certain foods that they have. You know, the, the, the way they talk, look, that's understandable. That's different from vilifying them and looking down upon them and thinking you're superior. So uh, racism has no place uh, in Christianity, but that won't stop Satan. So don't think he's just, you know, you're going to say, sorry, I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm not subject to these things. He will challenge everything he can. Anyway, um, the Judaizers, they judged the conversions. And they said they're not complete. We got that in verse 1. We get it in verse 5. Whereas the Christians who were just simply enjoying the truth, they didn't have these hang-ups. They were happy people were getting saved. Legalism encourages outward proofs. That if you do these things, you will find merit with God. Grace encouraged Christ's likeness to be like Christ out of love. This desire to please the Lord. John's Gospel, chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of legalism. No, full of grace and truth. Grace is not, it's an exotic. It is not grown naturally in the human heart. It has to be imported from heaven. We need the Holy Spirit to understand what grace is. Uh, so uh, it continues in John's Gospel. And of his fullness, that is Christ, we have received law for law. It doesn't say that. It says grace for grace. Love. Obedience to God has love all over it. Legalism is just hard. It is a false, stoic approach. It misses the grace that is available, supposing that somehow grace violates truth, and it does not, ever. And uh, those, now, churches who hold up non-theological policies are not legalists. If a church says, listen, we're going to have... 
section for handicapped parking. And if we find people that park there, we're going to, you know, enforce that, hey, if you're not handicapped, then you can't park here. That doesn't make them legalists. A church has every right to enforce it. If a church says, well, look, we don't want you bringing sandwiches into the sanctuary ever. Uh, we have, you know, there's a death sentence for that. Um, I'm sure it's in the Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. But anyway, uh, that's not legalism at all. That is just enforcing whatever policies they have the right to establish. Verse 4, I say that because, you know, we get accused of, you can't bring a jug of coffee in a sanctuary. They're so legalistic, and you don't know what you're talking about, and you're ugly. But, but, that, but I wouldn't say that out loud, because that wouldn't be gracious. I'm glad you laughed, because we all feel, you know, the flesh want to strike back, at least in some form. The problem is, is you're usually wrong when you want to do it, but not me. Verse 4 and when they had come to Jerusalem, they, received, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. There is still this tension whenever Paul shows up around the Jerusalem Jews. When they were so glad to send him off to Tarsus, they'll see a Paul. They didn't even give him a fruit basket. Said, Here's your ticket, and they were gone. Uh, that's not, it's not said that way. But as you read the story, you know, you can see, like, they're glad to get rid of him. Uh, they didn't trust his conversion. And many never received him as an apostle. And so when he met with resistance from fellow Christians, it was the Jerusalem Jews primarily. And, and it's understandable, but it's not acceptable. This is his third known visit to Jerusalem since his conversion. And uh, in spite of their rejection, he plowed forward. He didn't say, well, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't believe I'm saved, so I'll just wait until they believe it. They don't believe I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, so I, I can't do anything without them. Well, he, that wasn't his opinion. He plowed forward nonetheless and with tremendous success. It continues in verse 4. The apostles and the elders. Now, the apostles, they led the faith. They had the final say. Um, Jesus said to them, you know, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And, and that had very much to do with their authority. And it's passed over to the church. Uh, anyway, the leaders, the elders, they were the leaders of primarily the assembly. And they all had a role. And they, um, they taught. And so did the apostles. And it says here, they reported all things that God had done with them. As I mentioned, Paul wrote the Galatians about this time, and he writes about this part. So first, he and Barnabas meet with the leaders, the leadership, and then they'll come into the main forum and get this debate going. Galatians 2, 2, he says, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach them among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. And then a few verses later, he names the leaders, Galatians 2.9, and when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, okay, well, your blessings, you can go preach, you know, as you've been doing to the Gentiles. Just get out of here. 
because uh, Jerusalem, you got to remember, a lot of these Jews, they just couldn't make that transition. The church transitioned into the grace we know it today, but on the foundation of not only the, the uh, apostles and prophets, but also um, the synagogues gave us a template for how we have our services today to some degree. Uh, we don't have the women on one side and the men. There are little things, but overall, there, are, there is a connection. And largely, we can thank Paul for establishing this. Anyway, verse 5, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So they doubled down on their position. Now, the Pharisees here, converted in the early days of the church, uh, most of them retained their intolerance for Gentiles, at least to some degree, in some heavy degree. And they were watching their traditions sidestepped in the name of the God of Messiah. And this was a source of confusion and tension, and they, they, they couldn't... They could not become new wineskins. And so they're bursting all over the place. And we'll, we see as the New Testament goes forward, they're, they're just kind of left behind. Jesus said about the Pharisees, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Because the gnat has the blood in it still, and you, you know the blood is the life of the animal. And we believe that you know that's something that we should steer away from. Paul, when he gets converted, he says, everything I learned as a Pharisee, I count it as rubbish, Philippians chapter 3. And, and some of you may have known, what if you came out of Je the, the Kingdom Hall Jehovah's Witness cult? What if you came out of that? What if you came out of Islam? What if you came out of heathenism? Are you going to try to salvage some of that when you come to Christ? Or are you going to just say, I'm wiping all that off and start with a new canvas? And this is what Paul did, and he tells us. He says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born in the tribe of Benjamin. He lays out his background. And then he says, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. You know, a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people cannot sever their roots when they need to be cut. Paul was able to do that. He's not the only one. The Pharisees that had come and accepted Christ as Messiah that were causing this trouble, they, they had not matured to this state. They probably died. What finally put the kibosh on the Pharisaical influence in Christianity was the temple being destroyed by the Roman armies. And that was not instant. Even after the temple, there were still revolts and there was still a heavy presence of Judaism, but that's really what led to it. Legalism is a distortion of obedience, as lawlessness is a distortion of grace. And that alone should help us to understand grace because it leaves, that, that cuts out the, uh, eliminates the option, the bad options. Uh, we are to strive for obedience. Why? So that God will like us. No, that's legalism. Because we love him. And love seeks the favor of the object loved. You want, to, you want the one that loves you. You want it to be mutual. Grace is the balance. It demands holiness in the heart. And enjoys liberty in the life without ever condoning sin. 
He continues here in verse 6, and we're almost done, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And that's a lot of law, because these pharisaical converts, Messianic Jews, not all Messianic Jews are like this, because Paul was a Messianic Jew, uh, these, uh, they... um, they enjoyed their rituals and their rites. They were, grew up with them, and they were under the influence of the rabbis. Is rabbinical Judaism is not the same as the law of Moses. And that's why by the time Christ comes along, he's constantly dealing with these Pharisees. Paul has to deal more with the Sadducees in Acts, but these Pharisees, there was the rabbinical Judaism was killing the Jewish people. And that's why they said, never has a man spoke with such authority. Yeah, because they were getting the rabbis... You know, quoting the rabbi. Who quoted the rabbi? And they're still like that in, in many of their, their uh, uh, Hasidic groups, just quoting rabbis. But what about the What did Moses say? What was the purpose? So that's why when Jesus said, Moses gave you this law out of the hardness of your heart. But they were long detached from Moses, still flashing the name Moses, just not listening to him. Anyway, uh, do we see that in Christendom? Of course we do. We see places with uh, crosses uh, on the building. They call themselves churches. The leaders are called pastors. And they could care less about what's in the Bible. They're just doing whatever the culture likes and asking blessings on it from God in the midst of this. So, again, it's not a Jewish-Gentile thing. It's a sinner thing. Acts chapter 13 Here we are back again to verse 5, saying it is necessary to circumcise them. They thought Paul was too aggressive with grace and salvation. When back in, this is what happened back in chapter 13. Therefore, Paul speaking, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that's Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Ooh, Dems fighting words. And these guys, as I mentioned in the beginning, are upset that nobody is shutting Paul up and stopping him. So they took it upon themselves to go up to Antioch. Even the Judaizers could not keep the very laws that they claimed to uphold, and Peter will call them out of it. I don't want to read that. We'll get it in verses 10 and 11. Remember the angry brother of the prodigal son? No joy in his life. All he understood was law and merit. And it doesn't have to say it that way. It just presents it that way. Luke 15, 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Paul is doing the pleading. God, the Father, through Paul, pleading with the Jews to say, circumcision avails nothing, accomplishes nothing. It is the heart. And so we close with this, Romans 3, 23, verse 24. Rumen has it. We have communion today. So after I close with this, we'll go forward with that. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What fool would deny that? being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the antidote. I am a sinner. 
I am born one who has fallen from the glory of God. I was created in his image. Sin has, mar- sin has marred that image. But Christ has justified me freely by his grace, not through circumcision, but through Jesus Christ and his cross. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. Let's pray and then we'll have the men begin preparing the articles. Our Father, this morning, it is uh, certainly unpleasant to deal with confrontation, yet it is also unavoidable. And so may we not be in conflict with you, and may we learn how to present our truths from the Scripture without malice, and yet firm. We thank you for these lessons. We pray that they would contribute to making us stronger servants personally, but also give us a heart to reach lost souls with the truth, that each one of us would have a heart to evangelize, to preach Christ. These things we commit into your hands, and we know that there may be those listening who've never opened their hearts to you. They are sinners. They know they are sinners, but they have not stepped forward to receive the forgiveness of their sins through Christ who died on the cross to take their punishment in their place. If you'd like to open your heart to Christ and believe in him, then make this prayer in earnest and God will receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I come to you and you alone. There's no one else who can forgive me. There's no one else who died for me in my place to take my punishment. And there's no one else who rose again to demonstrate that all the power resides in him. So I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. And that from this day forward, you would be to me the one who is the savior of my soul and the Lord over my life. And now, Father, we commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name.